the vampire of Highgate Cemetery. Highgate Cemetery in North London is a magnificent Gothic graveyard full of intricately designed mausoleums, stone angels and Egyptian sepulchres. It's home to, among others, the founder of communism, Karl Marx, several past mayors of London, many sculptors and artists, including Henry Moore, famous engineer Michael Faraday, and literary figures including female novelist Marianne Evans, who wrote under the pen name George Eliot. Elizabeth Siddle, who was Ophelia in the famous painting by John Everett Millais, is also laid to rest here. And more recently, the singer George Michael. The cemetery's grounds are full of tall, thick, mature trees and shrubbery, and naturally populating wildflowers which form a natural haven for birds and small animals like foxes. The cemetery is open only for guided tours, for safety reasons. Some of the slopes are very steep, particularly in the West Cemetery, and the paths can be very uneven. And as it is also a nature reserve, it's to protect the delicate flora and fauna in the cemetery. In the Victorian era, it was highly fashionable to be buried here, in a grand Gothic mausoleum, but it was in the 70s that the cemetery came to prominence in the public interest, although not really for the right reasons. It was claimed that a vampire had been shipped over from Romania centuries ago by a nobleman of the highest order, who buried the vampire in a mausoleum in the cemetery. A group of naive occultists had raised the vampire and set it loose in the grounds of the cemetery. Local man David Farrant wrote a letter to the Hampstead and Highgate Express on February 6, 1970, in which he described that he had been passing the cemetery on Christmas Eve in 1969 when he had glimpsed a fleeting figure. He said, I had an awareness of some kind of presence. I decided to wait a minute to try to find some material thing, such as a tree moving in the wind, that could have accounted for it. Staring into the blackness, there was a distinct impression of something moving. What appeared one minute to be a solid black shape would suddenly alter its form. Suddenly, something caught my eye, and clearly visible was a tall dark shape. I wanted to assume it was someone wandering through the cemetery despite that the figure appeared to be over seven feet tall. But this was soon dispelled when I saw two red eyes meeting mine. Those eyes were not human. A man, identified only as an accountant by the name of Thornton, claimed he had been hypnotised by something in the cemetery, after he'd gone there late one afternoon to look around. That day, the light was beginning to fade as he strolled through the graves and he knew it was time to leave, but he found himself lost and unable to find the way out. As he struggled to find the exit gates, he suddenly found himself aware that there seemed to be a presence behind him. Turning around, he came face to face with an exceptionally tall figure that was hovering above the ground. In this instance, Thornton found that he could not move. He was stuck to the floor and all energy drained from him as a hypnotic force seemed to be aimed at him. He fell into what he felt was a state of unconsciousness for a number of minutes until the figure vanished. He felt that the figure was intrinsically evil 
and had a malevolent intent toward him. An old lady told of walking her dog one evening past the cemetery walls, when the dog began to whine and became hesitant to walk any further. Suddenly, she found herself frightened by a tall, dark man who floated toward her from among the graves. It had glaring eyes, she said, and it was staring at her. The Hampstead and Highgate newspaper wrote on February the 27th, We don't want to frighten you, but the ghost of Highgate Cemetery might be a vampire. People had been writing into the newspaper with their own strange encounters when passing the cemetery, said the newspaper. The phenomenon reported by Highgate people in letters to the Ham and High is not merely the apparition of an earthbound spirit, which is relatively harmless, but much worse, that of a vampire. They were basing this impression on another man's claim, a Mr. Sean Manchester, who, like local man David Farrant, would go on to become central in the investigation into the strange tall figure lurking in the cemetery. Manchester's theory, said the newspaper, is that the king vampire of the undead, originally a nobleman who dabbled in black magic in medieval Wallachia, somewhere near Turkey, walks again. His followers eventually brought him to England in a coffin at the beginning of the 18th century, said Mr. Sean Manchester, who was head of the British Occult Society and who claimed to be an exorcist. Manchester said they bought a house for him in the West End. His unholy resting place became Highgate Cemetery. There is desecration of graves here by Satanism. Well, actually, a grave had been disturbed in nearby Tottenham Cemetery and a body staked through the heart. According to the London Evening News, on November the 2nd, 1968, the newspaper said, these persons arranged flowers taken from graves in circular patterns with arrows of blooms pointing to a new grave, which was uncovered. A coffin was opened, and the body inside disturbed. But their most macabre act was driving an iron stake in the form of a cross, through the lid and into the breast of the corpse. Well, this had given growing concern that Satanists, or black magic groups, were meddling in things they did not understand, and had inadvertently, or perhaps purposely, raised the vampire now loose in Highgate Cemetery. Said Mr Manchester, I am convinced that this has been happening in Highgate Cemetery by a body of Satanists in an attempt to resurrect the King Vampire. The Hampstead and Highgate Express said, Mr Manchester believes in countering magic by magic. And Manchester said to them, We would like to exorcise the vampire by the traditional and approved manner. Drive a stake through its heart with one blow just after dawn. Chop off the head with a gravedigger's shovel and burn what remains. This is what the clergy did centuries ago, he said. Well, in a documentary on BBC's 24 Hours programme, Mr Manchester told reporter Lawrence Pissily, as far as we know, it has only physically attacked one male person, but there are others who amply attest to having been visited by it in their beds at night. One young woman sports two puncture wounds on her neck close to the jugular vein. She woke in the morning to discover two red marks on her neck, after experiencing not a nightmare but an evil experience where she thought she was being visited by something exceedingly wicked. 
the only certain remedy against vampirism, the only certain way of destroying an undead, is by driving a wooden stake, like the one I have here, straight through the heart with one blow, and decapitation, he said. More local reports came in, after David Ferrant wrote into the Hampstead newspaper. What Ferrant did not know at the time of the encounter that he had was that a local schoolgirl had apparently been saved from an attack by the vampire just days prior to this, as she was walking alone past the tall wall of the cemetery on Swain's Lane. Suddenly, she had found herself thrown to the ground with violent force by a tall black figure with a translucent face. Fortunately for the young girl, a speeding sports car came flying down the road and stopped to help her, and the tall dark figure fled into the darkness. The girl was taken to the local police station, where she reported what had happened to her. She had abrasions on her body and was treated for shock. The police went to the cemetery to search for her assailant, but could find no one there. The girl told the police that her attacker had disappeared through a wall. Sean Manchester said that he received an account from a schoolgirl called Elizabeth Walger, who, when walking past the cemetery with her friend, claimed to have seen graves springing open and the dead rising from them. Manchester also revealed the story told him by a man called Brian four years earlier, prior to all the current sightings that were going on. Brian claimed the following. He said, I'd been invited to a student party. It happened to be in a house close to the cemetery. I set off along Swain's Lane with my dog. It was a warm summer's evening, but as we proceeded along the outer wall, I became uncomfortably aware of a curious silence. All the birds had suddenly stopped singing. The only way I could describe it is that it was rather like being enveloped in a large blanket. I was ten yards from the north gate when I happened to look across at it. What I saw was what appeared to be black treacle flowing down and running over the wall. It touched the ground and actually flowed like a big black pool of liquid into the centre of the path, about six feet before me. There was an icy coldness, literally an arctic cold. There was a shadow discernible. I thought, what am I watching? What is this? The most horrible part was, and I still have nightmares about it, it reared up. I'd estimate its height at between seven or eight feet. I'm five feet eight and it towered over me. It was neither solid nor transparent. My overall impression was that it was a black figure wearing dark garments which flowed and stirred in the wind, but there was no wind. The edges of what it was wearing were moving. It had no face. Where the eyes would have been, there were just two red pits. I was very conscious, though, that it was looking at me. At that point, I realised that I was up against an entity that was both powerful and malignant. It was radiating evil. That's the only way I could describe it. This wasn't a ghost. There was nothing remotely human about it. It was simply not human. As an ex-army officer, I'd come up against life-threatening situations, but faced with that thing, the fear was worse than anything you could imagine. I couldn't move. My limbs were like lead. The next thing I can recall, I found myself up against the wall at the top of Swain's Lane. I've no recollection of running, but I must have done. 
I think what should be emphasised is the incredible speed with which events took place. The appearance of the entity was very swift, and from the time I first saw the treacle to the time it was in front of me, could only have been seconds, although it seemed longer at the time. Well, Brian adds a curious note at the end and says that his dog died not long after this encounter, after becoming ill following that evening. His dog was only eight years old, the vet told him. The dog died of old age, but Brian said he was only eight. Well, dead foxes started being found in the cemetery too. On March the 6th, 1970, the Hampstead and Highgate Express wrote, The mysterious death of foxes in Highgate Cemetery was this week linked with a theory that a ghost seen in the area might be a vampire. Tobacconist David Farrant, 24, who first reported seeing the ghost last month, returned to the spot last weekend and discovered a dead fox. Said Farrant, several other dead foxes have also been found dead in the cemetery. The odd thing was there was no outward sign of how they died. Much remains unexplained, but what I have recently learnt all points to the vampire theory as being the most likely answer. Should this be so, I am, for one, prepared to pursue it, taking whatever means might be necessary so that we can all rest, he said. The vampire theory, said the newspaper, was suggested last week by Mr. Sean Manchester, 25 years old, founder of the British Occult Society and founder and president of the Vampire Research Society, who believes that the king vampire of the undead walks again. Meanwhile, David Farrant, when interviewed on Thames Television's Today programme, was asked by the presenter Sandra Harris, Do you get any feeling from it? Did you feel that it was evil? Yes, says Farrant. I did feel it was evil, because the last time I actually saw its face, it looked like it had been dead for a long time. Asks Sandra, What do you mean by that? Replies Farrant, Well, I mean it certainly wasn't human. There appeared now to be two self-proclaimed vampire hunters, Sean Manchester, 25, and David Farrant, 24, and things would now begin to get highly competitive. Manchester proclaimed he would hold an official vampire hunt on Friday the 13th of March. This proclamation was broadcast on TV that morning, and within hours, a mob of several hundred novice vampire hunters from all across London and the home counties arrived at the cemetery, swarming the gates and trying to get into the grounds, with the attending police struggling to keep them back. One such participant was a history teacher from Chelmsford, perhaps appropriately named Alan Blood, who told David Farrant he had come to assist in the hunt with a dozen of his students. Newspaper editor of the Hampstead and Highgate Express at the time, Gerald Eisman, later recalled to the British Occult Society the fantastic events of that year and the following one which culminated in a TV programme inviting people to decide for themselves what was going on, resulted in 300 people, armed with homemade stakes and Christian crosses, storming the cemetery that night to kill the demon vampire lurking among the decaying tombs. According to Manchester, who was also there, while the police were occupied, 
he and his assistants managed to get into the cemetery by means of entering through a part of the railings that were damaged. On a previous visit, Manchester said, they had been led to a particular mausoleum by a psychic sleepwalking girl. And so this night they tried to pry the door off that mausoleum to access it, but they couldn't manage to get it open. Instead, he said, they managed to scale down a rope to a hole in the mausoleum roof, whereupon, once inside, they scattered holy water and garlic. The Hornsey Journal reported on the 28th of August 1970, Secret Exorcism at Highgate Tomb. A secret ritual at Highgate Cemetery by members of the British Occult Society has, they say, exorcised the evil powers invoked when a tomb was desecrated. They believe the desecration was done by Satanists. The photograph was made available to the journal by a participant in the ceremony. Seven crucifixes, four white candles and four cups of holy water from a Catholic church were used in the 15-minute ceremony. It was carried out by four men and a woman who met on an August afternoon near the entrance of a vault where a headless woman's corpse had been found. Incense was burned and holy water sprinkled near the vault and the banishment of evil powers, including words in Greek, Hebrew and Latin, was read by Mr. Sean Manchester. One crucifix was worn with laurel leaves over Manchester's dark suit and he held another. The other five were arranged around the scene for protection against the dangerous powers which can be invoked at an exorcism. Mr. Manchester told us. The British Occult Society representing Mr. Manchester wrote on their blog, The suspected tomb was located and an exorcism performed. This proved ineffective, as the hauntings and animal deaths continued. Indeed, they multiplied. All manner of people were by now jumping on the bandwagon, including rock musicians and sundry publicity seekers, they say. Most were frightened off. Some, who interloped, became fascinated by the black arts with disastrous consequences. Meanwhile, the other vampire hunter, David Farrant, took reporter Barry Simmons into the cemetery late one night. Wrote Simmons, so began the macabre midnight hunt. As the church bells told midnight, the night after a full moon, the scene was set for a spine-chilling night. The ivy-covered Victorian vaults and the eerie sound of the wind in the trees helped to make up the atmosphere. David, 24, was all set, kitted out with all the gear required by any self-respecting vampire hunter. Clutched in his arm, in a Sainsbury's carrier bag, he held the tools of his trade. There was a cross made out of two bits of wood tied together with a shoelace and a stake to plunge through the heart of the beast. Vampire hunting is a great art. There's no point in just standing around waiting for the monster to appear. It must be stalked. So we stalked. Every sound, every cracking twig or rustling bush was a vampire incarnate waiting to pounce. David threw his paper bag into a bush. We all jumped in fright. Three schoolgirls walking through the cemetery found the body of a woman which had been dragged from a tomb. The body had a stake through its chest. Well, anyway, we gave up half an hour before dawn. It had been a disappointing night and David apologised. He said, we're sure there is a vampire here. I think he sleeps during the day in a coffin in the catacombs. 
He has to be destroyed. He's evil. I was going to follow where he returned. First, we have to establish the exact catacombs the vampire enters. I eventually plan to search through all the coffins until I find the vampire asleep and then plunge the wooden stake through his heart. A few months later, on Lammas Day, August the 1st, 1970, the burnt and headless remains of a woman's body were found not far from the mausoleum where the vampire was believed to be. The police, understandably, suspected that it had been used in a black magic ritual. The British Psychic and Occult Society, not to be confused with Manchester's British Occult Society, under the leadership of Farrant, investigated the cemetery and claimed to have found much vandalism and desecration, with vaults broken open and coffins smashed apart. One vault, they said, had been forced open and the coffins inside apparently set on fire. As a result, Ferrant decided to perform a ceremony in the cemetery at midnight on August 17th, 1970. The group claimed to begin to hear muffled voices surrounding them. They quickly decided to leave in the middle of the ceremony. But Farrant found himself apprehended by the attending police officers who had come to patrol the cemetery. He was arrested, armed with a crucifix and a wooden stake. When the case later came to court, however, it was dismissed. The evening news reported, Graveyard vampire hunter is cleared. A man armed with crucifix and sharp wooden stake in a bid to slay a vampire, believed to be in the London graveyard, a court heard, had his case dropped. Farrant had apparently told police, my intention was to search out the supernatural being and destroy it by plunging the stake into its heart. It has to be destroyed. Said the newspaper, Farrant, 24, unemployed, of North Hill Highgate, pleaded not guilty at Clerkenwell to being in an enclosed area at Highgate Cemetery for an unlawful purpose. The magistrate, Mr David Jones, dismissed the case on the grounds that the cemetery was not an enclosed area in the legal sense, but added, I would not have accepted that any intention to damage private coffins was not an unlawful purpose. Detective Sergeant Neville Brown said Farrant had told police that he had learned that a vampire rises from the catacombs at the cemetery at midnight. His statement said, At midnight I went with the cross and the stake to look for the vampire. Had the police not arrived when they did, my intention was to make my way to the catacombs in search of it. I would have entered the catacombs and inspected the coffins in my search, and upon finding this supernatural being, I would have driven the stake through its heart and then run away. In the meantime, a few days later, in the daylight, rival vampire hunter Sean Manchester returned again with his group, and according to his account, he claims that this time he and his companions did succeed in slowly forcing open the door of the crypt suspected to be housing the vampire, which strangely now was a different crypt to the one first suspected by his psychic sleepwalking girl. But apparently they now believe the vampire had swapped coffins and relocated to a different crypt. And so prying open this coffin lid, they claimed they found the vampire. But just as Manchester raised his stake to drive it through the heart, his assistants urged him to stop. It was of course an illegal act after all. 
Manchester refrained from staking the vampire and instead apparently sprinkled holy water on it along with garlic again. Said the British Occult Society, Sean Manchester and his colleagues pursued the principal source of the contagion at Highgate until it was properly exercised in the ancient and approved manner. It was a nightmare journey which took them into the nether region inhabited by terrifying corporeal. However, the story does not end here. For Manchester then later claimed that after a period of three years had passed, somehow, confusingly, he discovered that the vampire was in fact now living in an empty house in the Highgate area. He went to the house, he said, and he discovered the vampire living in a cellar. He gave no mercy this time, he said, and he opened the coffin purposely, drove a stake through the heart of the vampire, and then burnt it. Well, he wrote a book about this, and he even includes photographs in his subsequent book, allegedly of the vampire. The book's called The Infernal World of the Undead, Unearthed, at London's Highgate Cemetery and Environs. During these strange years of the vampire's tale, a fierce and destructive rivalry between Farrant and Manchester had become entrenched. Both had been determined to lead the hunt for the vampire, and at one stage they even decided to hold a duel to decide once and for all which of them was the more powerful. Flyers began to appear on the London Underground advertising the duel, which was scheduled for April the 13th on Parliament Hill in Hampstead, although they later calmed down a bit and called the duel off. There was also the unfortunate incident when rumours spread that a cat would be sacrificed as part of their supernatural efforts to garner the necessary power to destroy the vampire. When a local man's pet cat failed to come home, Mr. Farrant found himself villainised by the RSPCA, the Royal Society for the Protection of Animals, and by the media for having allegedly beheaded the cat as part of his ungodly ritual. The cat later returned home unharmed, by its own accord, with no signs of having been kidnapped or harmed. And in fact, Farrant later sued one newspaper for accusing him of being a cat killer. In later years... Farrant sought to distance himself from the claims that a vampire had really been resident in Highgate Cemetery. In 2016, he wrote on his blog, I hope I clarified that the ghostly figure seen in Highgate Cemetery, which has been reported by many local people over the years, is not, nor ever has been, a vampire. We are not certain as to the nature of the actual psychic entity seen in and reported around the cemetery, and which is now apparently still active. But one thing is for certain, it is not, or ever was, a vampire. Mr. Farrant has now died. But things had gone rapidly downhill for Farrant during the era of the vampire hunt, and he'd ended up in prison, for activities which had seen him get rather carried away with the whole thing. As the Friends of Sean Manchester Society exclaimed, Farrant was entering the graveyard in 1971 to raise the vampire by conducting what to all intents and purposes was a necromantic ritual with a naked female in a mausoleum, and the Daily Express reported, in June 1974, after another arrest, that the jury were shown folders of naked pictures of girls and corpses and told about a black-clothed daughter in David Farrow's flat. He was actually charged under the name David Farrow, 
and the drawing had a large vampire's face on it. When questioned, Farrow, or rather Farrant, said a corpse is needed to talk to spirits of another world. Well, he found himself sent to prison in 1974 for damaging memorials and interfering with the remains of people in the cemetery. Though he strenuously denied this charge and said it was others who had done it. He did, however, admit to sending voodoo dolls to police officers. He said, I sent two voodoo effigies to police detectives in 1973, for which I received an additional prison term of two years. On his website, Farrant later wrote, Eventually, David, he means himself, David's unconventional methods and the fascination of the press with his exploits led to his notorious conviction at London's Old Bailey in 1974 for what amounted to the practice of witchcraft, despite the fact that the Witchcraft Act had been repealed in 1951, a combination of the then openly corrupt Metropolitan Police and one of the most draconian and conservative judges in Britain, led to combined sentencing of four years and eight months. At the centre of David's Old Bailey trial was a protagonist who naturally never gave evidence in court. The Highgate Vampire, he says. Unrelated to the actual Highgate Vampire, Farrant had been found guilty of threatening police officers by sending voodoo dolls he had made in an attempt to pervert the course of justice over his friend's sex case. Farrant's case reached as far afield as the New York Times. When reporter Catherine Hughes wrote, North London's Highgate Cemetery has been described by one writer as walled romantic rubble with funereal Victorian extravaganzas, and another calls it an anthology of horror. There was a crowded old Bailey court. The court was told that stakes had been driven through the hearts of bodies, that 24 volts had been interfered with, and that there were indications that necromantic ceremonies had taken place. Neighbours reported that they heard cackling in the night. In January, a London architect who had parked near the cemetery returned to his car to find a headless corpse propped against the steering wheel. The Evening News of London reported with pictures. These are the voodoo dolls High Priest Farrant used to put the mark of death on two detectives. The dolls, pins through the mouth and one pin piercing the Star of David, were each inscribed with an initial W for David Michael Westmore and R for temporary detective David Reed. David Farrant was found guilty at the Old Bailey this afternoon of trying to influence the detective's evidence sending them the dolls so that they would be afraid to testify against a man arrested on an indecency charge. Farrant has now been convicted on four indictments for desecrating vaults, coffins and corpses in the cemetery and stealing bedding from the cemetery and of having a revolver. The judge lashed out at the scandalous condition of the cemetery. Well, in a later interview, David Farrant said to interviewer Andrew Goff, who's a TV presenter, In 1974, they threw the book at me with five accounts related to events in the cemetery, none of which I was guilty of. One very famous charge was for putting a 150-year-old corpse in a car minus its head. Clearly it was a joke, but luckily the only evidence was a statement dreamt up by the police, something that I was supposed to have said that amounted to a confession. A jury agreed I'd been wrongly convicted and I was acquitted on three major charges, including the skeleton in the car, and found guilty of only two minor charges, 
Satanist drawings, which I photographed but never created, and damage to a coffin. And then there was the matter of the voodoo dolls. It's true I sent them to the police. Later, Peter Underwood, a member of the Ghost Club, first founded at Cambridge University in the 1800s, claimed to have been aware of vampires in Highgate even before Farrant and Manchester's involvement, it seems. He said, in 1968, I heard first-hand evidence of such a sighting and my informant maintained that he and his companion had secreted themselves in one of the vaults and watched a dark figure flit among the catacombs and disappear into a huge vault from which the vampire did not reappear. Subsequent search revealed no trace inside the vault, but I was told that a trail of drops of blood stopped at an area of massive coffins which could have hidden a dozen vampires. Well, despite Sean Manchester's apparent claims to have staked the vampire in a dilapidated house in Highgate, this does not seem to have stopped people having encounters with what appears to be a vampire. Witness Declan Walsh recalled seeing the vampire walk through a locked gate in 1991 on his walk to work. He said he was extremely tall, well over six feet in height, and he was very thin. He wore a long black cape-like coat and a top hat. His dress looked Victorian in style, and he appeared all black. He also appeared to glide, and there was no sound. The ground was littered with leaves, yet I heard no sound from him, nor did he take any notice of me. In 2005, local man Martin Trent recalls, I'd lived in the area for about ten years, and was walking home from the pub one night. I was walking down Swain's Lane beside the cemetery. I was walking in the middle of the road. I always did this. It was a very quiet road, and the road was smoother to walk on than the pavements, which had a lot of potholes in them. I could see a man in the distance standing by the gates of the cemetery, dressed in dark clothing. I didn't think anything of it and carried on walking toward him, to pass him and the gates. As I got parallel with him, he said to me, "'Good evening, sir.' which is nothing unusual in itself, but it just sounded like his voice had been thrown, and it was right in my ear hole, and that did make me feel a bit disconcerted. I didn't do anything, I didn't talk to him, and I just carried on walking. The turning to the street where I lived was about 60 metres ahead. I was thinking about the man as I carried on walking, and as I turned into my street, I looked back and I saw him go across the road. Again, nothing strange about that, although it kind of looked almost like he glided across the road. I got home and I woke my wife up. I told her it was a bit strange. The thing that was the most strange was that from where he'd been standing, his voice wouldn't have sounded like it had. It was like he was standing next to me, shouting into my ear. His voice was that loud inside my ear. At a Highgate Vampire Symposium in 2015, run by David Ferrant and his wife, Mr Trent repeated his experience. It was a summer's night and I was coming back down through the village. I'd had a few drinks but I wasn't drunk. He seemed to be standing there waiting for someone. As I'd got to my turning and looked back, it was moving across the road as if very light on his feet, like a dancer, very fluid. 
Another witness, who was present there at the symposium, was a lady called Debbie Meredith, a former bus driver and taxi driver, who'd been living in the area for many years. She said, I used to do taxi driving at night. I'd go up and down Swain's Lane regularly. It was Christmas Eve and I'd just come up the bottom of Swain's Lane. I saw this man. I was going at normal speed, but it felt like forever to get to him. Being a taxi lady, I earned well, and I'm going home and I thought, last fare. And so, like an idiot now, I pulled over and I got out of the car and was resting on the door. And I started talking to him and I said to him, Hello, are you waiting to be picked up? If not, I'll pick you up and take you for nothing. I'm on my way home. Would you like a lift? I was just focused on his eyes. Couldn't take my eyes off him. He didn't answer, so I said again. It's Christmas Eve, I'm going home. I'll give you a lift home. I won't charge you. But he still never answered. But then something inside of me, it just came over me. I don't know how long I was looking at him. It felt like a couple of minutes and got back in my car and got back in in my seat and we never had electric locks in those days. And he's still looking at me and I started my car and as I'm about to pull off, obviously as a driver you look in all your mirrors like any driver before you pull away, and he was gone. And I actually drove up the top and looked back and thought, where are you? There was only a wall there and a gate. You can't go nowhere. And that was it. It bothered me all night. I never stopped again. I used to see him on the regular on Swain's Lane, staring up and down, always between the hours of 2 and 3 a.m. I never stopped for him again. Going past him. If anyone's ever had an accident, you know that feeling like everything slows down and it would take forever to get to him and to get past him, like I was going really slow, but I never stopped again. This went on for years. He looked like a gentleman. That's all I ever thought, dressed like a gentleman. He was tall, he wore a top hat, which understandably would make him even taller. He wore a cloak. He looked young. He looked lovely. He looked rich. Well, is there a vampire in Highgate Cemetery? <laughs>